thank you so much, Len, for being here today for the Wave Capital's guest speaker series on relationship building in a team environment. And you're my ninth guest on the podcast. And I really appreciate you joining me today. And Len, tell me what relationship building means to you. Everybody has their own definition on relationship building, but what does that term or that phrase mean to you? Well, I mean, I, I look at it in, in, through different prisms. Um, one, relationship building as human beings, we all need uh, to stay connected with others. I mean, that's, uh, that's how we survive, that's how we grow, that's how we develop. And so to provide outreach to, to, to people who um, certainly have compatibilities, people with whom you'd like to learn from, people with whom uh, you can provide input and, and uh, provide wisdom, knowledge, and understanding uh, to, it all, it all makes sense. That's part of the, the, the continuum of life. Uh, if you're looking from a business standpoint, certainly building relationships opens up new vistas uh, in many ways and, and, and creates a chain that people can take advantage of, uh, you know, provided that those relationships are based on honesty, trust, and, um, you know, mutual interests. So, you know, you, you look at it from both of those standpoints and it's certainly they're beneficial. Absolutely. And, you know, that's a great way to open the minds of people who look at relationship building because it's all across so many different platforms and spectrums. And I think that no matter whom you are and what profession you're in, you know, it depends on the accountability and the reliability, the integrity, the honesty, the transparency that you have with you and your, you know, core cohorts. And, and I think that, you know, you being not only a foreign professional basketball player, a sports play-by-play -play broadcaster, as well as a trial attorney, talk about all the different realms of professionalism that you've had to, you know, encounter and work in and how it all parallels and overlaps. Well, I've been pretty fortunate in, in the experiences that I've had, as you mentioned, um, well, you can even be, begin before uh, playing in the NBA as a collegiate, uh, as a collegiate athlete and student, uh, it was important to, to develop relationships, uh, just to, again, for the, the human need and, and the survival uh, on a campus. Remember, I came to the University of Maryland from New York City, where I hadn't really traveled outside of my home for uh, you know most of my life at that period of time. So this was a new experience for me. And in order to get grounded and to, to be able to grow and develop, I certainly needed to develop relationships, not only with my coaches, uh, with teachers, but certainly with my fellow students. And you know I've had the opportunity to have some lifelong friendships from that moment up until now. And, and those friendships have paid off both emotionally as well as uh, provided opportunities. And then you move on to the professional ranks where, uh, again, uh, developing relationships in, in development uh, had a lot to do with, you know, my growth as a human being, uh, not only just as a basketball player. And then we're talking about coaches, we're talking about people who were fans at the time, but, but ultimately uh, were able to provide more than just uh, essentially hero worship. Um, you know, there's mutual trust and understanding with people and, and you learn uh, things that help you grow emotionally as much as you would in, in any other facet. Um, afterwards, as a, as a law student at, at Harvard Law School, uh, again, professional relationships were certainly developed as well as 
as well as lifelong friendships. And, and you notice the trend, um, these individual uh, relationship developments uh, blend over not only into my professional life, but certainly in the private life, because I think that, you know, once you've made a connection with a human being, um, it's more than just exploiting that relationship for, you know, professional gain or anything like that. They're human beings and, you know, there's an awful lot to learn from people, uh, a lot to admire uh, in people. And certainly, uh, you know, make no uh, mistake about it, you as an individual have to understand your own self-worth and the fact that you can provide many of these things to other folks. So, you know, that's uh, essentially what I've gotten certainly at law school. And again, uh, professional relationships as well as personal relationships have endured. And, and throughout, you know, my career as a sportscaster, I've grown to have many uh, good friends that, that have come out of, of that industry, people that I can rely on even to today for a varied amount of things. As a, as a teacher now at Columbia University, and as a law practicing lawyer prior to that, um, I've been able to draw on those relationships when, you know, certainly needed, not only from an emotional, an emotional standpoint, um, you know, not only from a collegial uh, friendship standpoint, but also from a professional standpoint, where I can be uh, of help and assistance, and certainly they can be of help and assistance as well. That's wonderful. And, you know, what in your child or growing up, you know, who were your first mentors? You know, who were your first examples of relationship builders? And and talk to me about what made you think of, you know, I love basketball. You, know, you became an All-American at the University of Maryland and gone on to have a great professional MBA career as well as, as a practicing uh, trial attorney. But, you know, what made you decide to go to law school? It, it begs the question, and la later on I'll ask, you maybe another question, unless you answer it before I can ask the question. But you know, what made you think? You know what? Besides sports, Len Elmore, you know, he could really contribute to society in other ways. You know, growing up in New York City, um, you know, I was a, a television child. Obviously, uh, you know, I watched a lot of TV shows that, you know, during the uh, tumult of the civil rights movement, as well as the anti-war protests, anti-Vietnam war protests, you know, there are a lot of lawyer shows on TV and I became really attached to shows like Perry Mason and The Defenders and, and, and others that were similarly related because I thought that, you know, through the law, you could have some kind of impact on, on the social mosaic, if you will. And, you know, I didn't want to necessarily stand on the sidelines and watch the parade go by. I wanted to march in the parade, so to speak. And I never really lost that particular desire and passion. Now, when you talk about, you know, relationships, um, you know, two of the, the, the most influential folks in my life were my mother and my father. You know, my mom was a extremely bright woman and from a small town in Louisiana, um, had an opportunity to get a scholarship to go to an HBCU Southern University. But unfortunately, her family was so poor, instead of going to college, she wound up going to New York to be with my aunt, her sister, to make money to um, send back home. And, but she never lost sight of the opportunity that she had, and she wanted her children to, to get that same opportunity and even better. My father was a, a high school dropout in New York City uh, and wound up joining the army, uh, was in Japan 
during World War II and the occupational forces, came back to the United States uh, and you know, worked as a truck driver, but um, continued to you know, kind of develop himself to the point where he could pass the civil service tests and become a city worker, as did my mother, and provide for us a better opportunity moving from the projects to a, a, a single family home. Um, and in that home, they finished uh, the basement by hand and built an area called the library, which really was just an alcove that had a bookcase and, and a small desks. But on that bookcase, they went into debt to get encyclopedias and uh, you know Bible study, and, and those were the first books that you know we had in our home. And, and what that told me at the time was that you know there's a premium on education, and that without it, you know there would be no progress. Um, and you know I took that to heart throughout. Now, of course, um, growing up, uh, I loved sports. I was a baseball player initially, and loved that sport and was pretty good at it but I kind of grew beyond the dimensions of a really good baseball player and wound up uh, being discovered as a basketball player at, at my size in junior high school. And, you know, one of the first influential people outside of my home uh, was a gentleman by the name of Howie Evans, who was a writer for the Amsterdam News in New York City and suggested that I try playing a sport with people my size. Uh, at that time, I think in junior high school, I was 5'11", 6'1", uh, in the uh, seventh grade, and you know, really started to grow after that, uh, and you know, that that gave me an idea. Okay, maybe I can try this game of basketball. Uh, certainly, I knew nothing about it, and was uh, taken to a high school in Manhattan, a Catholic school, for a tryout. Little beknownst to me that it was a tryout, and not knowing much of the rules of basketball, you know, I just relied on um, basic physical skill to to be able to compete. And that's where I met my high school coach, Jack Cunard, who had a profound impact on me as a person. Uh, he was kind, intelligent, sensitive to, you know, the, the needs, uh, particularly uh, of people of color, simply because, again, he was a basketball coach, but more than anything else, interacted with us as a teacher as well. And, you know, during that time, you had uh, civil unrest in, in many of the big cities, you know, racially based civil unrest. And he and I would sit and talk after class uh, before games, simply because I lived too far away from home to go home and come back for games. So he and I would have some tremendous discussions on race, on um, you know being a, a, a man, if you will, and, and what manhood meant, uh, and, and so many other things that uh, you know mentors can, can have impact upon. Uh, so obviously, being recruited at the University of Maryland and other places. Um, you know, one of my uh, mentors uh, was a gentleman by the name of George Ravel, who was an extraordinarily impressive man, uh, you know, graduate of, of Villanova University, a pretty good basketball player, a coach, but also there was another side of him. He actually was um, a kind of a bodyguard for Dr. King during uh, the uh, speech, the I Have a Dream speech, and he in fact still has the um, copy, written copy of I have a dream speech. Dr. King was going to throw it away and Coach Raveling grabbed it. But he was a, a, a profound impact on me from the standpoint of leadership and continues to this day, um, you know, as, uh, as someone who you can rely on to, to provide insight into leadership and how to treat people. I mean, I could go on and on with, with people who have certainly uh, 
had an impact on my life. And one other person who was relatively inanimate uh, simply because you know, he was a, a, a hero, a, a, a figure in history, but I never met him. I just read about him, was Paul Robeson. And Paul Robeson, as many people know, was a human rights activist, a tremendous athlete, All-American in Rutgers University during uh, the early part of the 20th century. Um, was Phi Beta Kappa valedictorian at, at Rutgers um, and essentially uh, was a pro baseball player, pro football player, uh, a graduate of Columbia University, a concert singer, and an actor. And, and again, a human rights activist as well. To me, he was a Renaissance man. And when I read about his life, you know, I thought about uh, my ability to do a lot of things. And you know, to this day, I kind of uh, am grateful that I had an opportunity to be exposed to his life and what he stood for. So, you know, as I said, we can go on and on. There are other people who have impacted me throughout. Uh, but the bottom line is, yes, uh, in order to grow, in order to develop, you know, certainly you need people with greater wisdom, greater understanding, greater knowledge than yourself to help shape you and help, uh, you know, motivate you going forward and, you know, really allow you to take a look at what they've done and to be able to pay it forward. You know, absolutely. And you've mentioned so many, you know, notable names in your life. And the fact that one of your mentors was a bodyguard for Dr. Martin Luther King is so remarkable. And I think that, you know, it sounds like whether it was your parents or sounds like whether it was your mentors or just people throughout your life um, have made a significant impact and they've shaped you for who you are uh, today. And so when you think about, you know, if you can think of any organization, an organization uh, built upon, you know, all the attributes that you would think requires for an organization to be successful, you know, who are the people, and maybe you've already mentioned some of them already, who are the people you'd want to build an organization around with you to lead that organization? Well, I mean, first of all, let me, let me go back to, you know, Coach George Raveling uh, certainly was at that time for that particular moment, a, a Dr. King bodyguard, that wasn't his his only vocation. And in fact, he grew beyond that uh, to be a tremendous college basketball coach, a tremendous influence on sports culture as, as, a, as a Nike executive, and now as a writer, a member of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. So I just want to make sure that people understand that he has far more dimension than just uh, being a bodyguard for Dr. King for that moment. Um, but to answer your question, Garrett, uh, you know, I, I there are so many names that, that I could bring up to a great extent uh, from organizations that um, you could look up to, but you know, I'd rather have the profile of someone who essentially has a leadership quality, a sensitivity, that has a vision, um, that certainly has an empathy uh, for the people that work with him and her or around him or her. And, and you know, my mentors are not just males, obviously. There are, there are females who've had a, a profound impact as well. So, you know, that kind of profile, um, you know, I would take those folks as leaders at any point in time. And again, it, it really comes down to, you know, having a sense of who you are, having, as I said, a, essentially a true north that, uh, you know, grounds you in principle and in ethics. And, and if those things are, are, are existent in, in an individual. I'm more than willing to sit, listen, and interact. Yeah, well said. You know, I think also you mentioned a key point, listening, because 
you know, leaders, you know, who have a very strong will to lead and to think about how they want to go about doing it and leading others. But you have to be a great listener to know the people around you, the people who work for you or under you to know what their needs are and to know, you know, what they think it is or are the best course or courses of action. And I think that, you know, listening is such a lost art sometimes. And the key to great listening is also the key to, you know, great leadership and to be able to lead an organization. And I think, you know, when you think about your time at ESPN, CBS Sports, um, other organizations, you know, you've broadcasted for, you know, talk about some of the relationships, the people that you sat on the desk with, whether in studio or, you know, at basketball games, you know, being paired up with, talk about some of those memories and talk about the relationships that you built during those times of your life. Well, one of the things that, that I'd like to really bring out, and I think you, you alluded to them, was the, the art of listening. And that's, for, as a color analyst, uh, that's part of your job to listen to your play-by-play -play partner and to be able to react and respond beyond just uh, analyzing the play that, that's out there. So it requires some practice. And listening uh, takes a lot of patience uh, to be able to absorb before you speak. Um, you know, it's that, that old saying that, uh, you know, better uh, to, to, you know, to listen uh, as opposed to speak without understanding and be considered a fool. Uh, it's better to listen and, and to be able to respond uh, and, and kind of remove the doubt. Uh, in some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure if I got it right or not, but it's better to listen than to, to speak out without understanding is, is what I'm trying to say. And, and so, you know, with relationships that I've developed, uh, some of my favorite play-by-play uh, -play partners uh, have been guys that, you know, have kind of made history with. Vern Lundquist is one of those who, you know, we uh, broadcast that famous Kentucky Duke game together. And, and Vern was a, an absolute untouchable with regard to, his, his with regard to his ability to, to detail the action, but not get in the way of the action and give the play-by-play, -play, uh, the color analyst room to be able to analyze exactly what went on and explain that to, to the fans. Uh, another partner of mine, Gus Johnson, uh, he and I were kind of yin and yang. Gus was extraordinarily excitable. And for me, I'd rather take a more logical uh, approach, uh, a more, um, you know, under controlled approach to be able to explain, you know, what's going on in, in a particular play in a particular game. And, and I think that we meshed extremely well. And then again, I could talk about so many other guys, Dan Schulman, Mike Tirico, um, you know, the, the list pretty much goes on and on. Tim Brando, certainly. Um, so we, uh, you know, over the years, I've been really blessed to have quality play-by-play -play guys who have given me the room to do what I do. And this is probably my last year in, in broadcast. I've taken a few games just to, you know, keep the sweet taste of, of college basketball in my mouth from that standpoint. But, you know, I've been really blessed over 33 years of, uh, of uh, broadcasting college basketball games. And, you know, I've learned from, from every partner that, that I've been, uh, been fortunate enough to be paired with. Well, you mentioned Tim Brando, and I'm looking forward to interviewing him on Monday. And, you know, what a great list of people from Vern Lundquist to Dan Schulman, you know, to others, Mike Tirico, Gus Johnson. Uh, I think it's wonderful how many people you've impacted in your 
in your life. And I'm sure they can say the same thing uh, about impacting yours, but you know, everybody in such a busy schedule and in such, you know, a 24 seven, you know, news cycle that we live in, you know, people every day are just, you know, focusing on their craft, trying to improve, get better, you know, provide for themselves and their families, build strong relationships around themselves and make a name for themselves and leave a legacy. And, you know, you and others have led a great legacy, you know, whether it's in your professional life and I'm sure in your family life too, talk a little bit about your family and, you know, the relationships that you've built with your family and how that has meant so much to you. Well, I mean, I am extraordinarily proud of a relationship, obviously, that I've had with my wife. We uh, started dating in 1973, and uh, even though my wife pursued her career as a, um, as a financier on Wall Street and with Bank of America, um, you know, we, we stayed together as my parallel of a pursuit of an NBA career. We didn't get married for, you know, a lot of reasons. We were both pursuing careers and and trying to find ourselves. But ultimately, when I graduated from law school after uh, our 14 years together, we decided to, to form a union. Um, there are two boys that are the result of that union. Um, you know, one, uh, my oldest son, Stephen, is a Princeton graduate and has a master's from the Citadel. Uh, right now, he's uh, in communications and, and moving up the ladder extremely well. Um, and my youngest son, Matthew, is a Columbia undergraduate as well as a Columbia Business School graduate. He also has worked uh, in education. He's been a consultant with, you know, one of the large consulting companies. Um, but he also began as a, as a teacher uh, in, in a charter school system in New York City. So what I think what we've taught our kids is that while they are very fortunate to, you know, be able to experience great educations, uh, great opportunities, that there's also a need to be able to give back. And both of them have been extremely generous with their time and with their effort, recognizing that you can do good and do well. And hopefully, you know, my life and my wife's life have demonstrated that. You know, we're a pretty close-knit family. Um, you know, our sons, you know, come home to visit uh, pretty regularly. We're close to them as well. And we, we try to see them at least a couple of times per month. One lives in Washington, DC, the other lives in New York City. And, and, and again, you know, I look at them, that's, that's our legacy. And, um, you know, I think the legacy is in good hands. That's great. And it's so nice to hear. Uh, it's great to hear how, you know, the guests I've been interviewing, how they speak so, you know, fondly of their family and their children. And it truly is the best legacy to leave the next generation, your kids, grandkids. And, you know, you know, you did a lot of things right when your kids can speak so highly of, you know, his or her parents. And, you know, you talk about your last year broadcasting. What do you have in store for yourself once you um, retire from broadcasting? Do you have any endeavors, uh, any other ventures that you, you are planning on pursuing once you uh, call your last game? Well, I mean, that's only part of what I do. So um, I still have my teaching responsibilities at Columbia University for a few more years. Um, I'm the co-chair of the Knight Commission uh, for Intercollegiate Athletics. We're a reform-minded group that's been in existence for you know, 30, 40 years. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of the chairpersons of that group as we continue to try to find answers to 
you know, make college sports what it is a, a primary component of education for these young athletes and, you know, help to carve out a space where, you know, sports becomes a, a driver for not only education, but as they continue to play health, safety, and, and continued success. You know, those are some things that I will continue to do and, you know, hopefully find other ventures as well to, to kind of immerse myself in. Again, it, it comes down now to, to trying to, to give back, uh, you know, for the many benefits and fortunes that I've been able to experience. Um, you know, from, from the opportunities that I've received, it, it's time to, you know, kind of help continue to pay them back, not that I've ever stopped. And also try to impress upon young people uh, with whom I come in contact, whether it's through, you know, the education system, uh, the postgraduate system that I'm involved in at Columbia University, uh, speaking engagements and otherwise that, you know, you can do it all, particularly those who have professional skills, that there's a responsibility that they have because of the blessings they've received to be able to give back. But also, you don't have to choose one over the other. You can, uh, you can not only become a professional athlete, but you can also utilize the opportunity that you've had to build and become the best person you can be through education and, and through interaction with others. And, and as I said, through empathy and base your life on a on principled and an ethical uh, basis, and and to be able to pay that forward as well. You know, we're in a continuum. We're in a cycle that, you know, we teach. Uh, and others learn, and in effect, those who learn go forward and teach themselves. And so we, we, can, we stay on that continuum, and hopefully we'll have some success. So I'm not worried about not having anything to do once I uh, stop uh, broadcasting. There'll be plenty. Well, I figured, you know, as a, a lecturer at Columbia University, uh, that alone, there's so much you can do in academics, not only teach students, but as you talk about you know, impacting their lives, mentoring them. You know, what have you noticed as a lecturer at the collegiate level, at the Ivy League level? You know, relationships that you've built has has things changed, and I'm sure it's it could be a rhetorical question, but everybody might have a different you know response in his or her own way. But you know, growing up, going to school at the University of Maryland, playing in the NBA, being a trial attorney, being a sports play-by-play -play broadcaster. You know, also being a lecturer, professor, you know, has in your mind, what has changed and what has stayed the same as you work with the youth now for, compared to previous generations? Um, the only thing I can say is uh, for those who are, who are focused on developing themselves in their careers and not um, dissuaded by um, the challenges that doing that presents and who aren't also aren't distracted by instant gratification, et cetera. For all of those, the things that stayed the same is uh, curiosity, um, a, a thirst for knowledge and understanding, and you know, a desire to make a difference. I mean, that hasn't changed from the days that, that I can remember coming up in, in the 60s and 70s. Uh, there are a lot of young people like that, and they're more aware right now of, of their surroundings, and, and they're um, you know, pretty uh, adept at you know, finding uh, solutions, if you will, and seeking them, not necessarily finding them, but in seeking them, they ultimately will find them, particularly if they access the right people. And, and then finally, the, the idea that, you know, there are so many issues out there that require their activism and activism for positive change. 
and, and it's really appreciative. I'm really appreciative of that because I haven't seen anything like that since, as I said, the time I was a teenager in the 60s. Last question. Any final words on relationship building for the future? What can the audience um, gain from some of your final words as they look to, you know, make an impact on others' lives and, you know, really forge ahead in this new generation of challenges and expectations and everything that's going on in the world today to be a better uh, relationship builder for themselves, for their families, for their organizations, and whomever they cross paths with. Well, I mean, that, that's a lot, but the one thing I would say is that it's important to extend a hand. It's important to step out and to, you know, generate uh, the opportunity for relationship building. And, you know, and, and the idea is, uh, again, to associate yourselves with people who are principle-based, uh, who are ethically sound, and, you know, who look to, to have positive impact and positive change, people who are optimistic. You know, all of those things reflect who you are and ultimately will help build you into, you know, folks who are similarly situated. And I think it's extremely important. You know, if you're going to choose who you're associated with, use that basis, as I said, principle and ethics, you know, use that basis uh, to make your choices as to with whom you want to be associated. And uh, if you do that, then, then you're able to choose wisely. Thank you so much, Len, for your time. I really appreciate it. And I wish you well always. God bless and look forward to staying in touch. And thank you again for being a part of the, my podcast today. I loved our interview. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.